Today's pod is brought to you by Waterfront Comics, located at 609 Main Street, Sassoon City, California. Open every day from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. So if you're looking for a gift for an avid comic book reader or a collectible for a friend, come to Waterfront Comics. John is the guy to see. And if you can't come in person, no worries. Waterfront Comics does ship to home via their email, waterfrontcomics at gmail.com. Today's pod is also brought to you by Chosen One, a lifestyle brand of the nerd and famous, promoting academic hustle, street culture, and the geek life. Inspired by pop with a dash of retro goodness, Chosen One evolves with the future with a mission to provide a positive and empowering brand that flips the script for nerd kind. Check out their website at www.thechosenone.com. That's one with a W. To see their plethora of merchandise, including hoodies, shirts, hats, and more. Available in men's, women's, and kids' sizes. Chosen One, the future of nerd kind. everybody this is james and marco and abil and this is the movie pals podcast podcast number 41 today we're going to be going over what we've been watching go over the topic of the week provided by nabil and then we're going to be doing a movie review of the netflix film and oscar nominee roma uh, at the end of the podcast we'll also be answering some instagram questions that we've been asked and uh, marco will also be announcing the winner of our funko pop giveaway that's right so without further ado, guys, let's get into what we've been watching. Hey, what you watching? All right, so let's get into it. Nabil, what have you been watching these last few weeks? You know, busy few weeks. Seen quite a few movies, but I'm not going to talk about any. I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked that you've actually been watching stuff. I actually have. Well, you know, Oscar season's here, so I kind of have to try to catch up and make sure I see these films. Oh, you're well ahead of the game. I'm behind. <laughs> I'm trying. I can't get to James' status. He's he's very diligent on that, and I try to catch up with him as much as I can. But you know, it's a special, never can really... it's a special kind of person. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. Yeah, he's got a real. Uh, I real thank my girlfriend for, for being patient with me. <laughs> But I have been able to watch some television, and that's what I wanted to talk about since we'll be talking about a lot of films over the next few pods. Watched a new show. Just came out on ABC. It's actually probably been out about six, seven weeks now. It's called The Rookie, starring Nathan Fillion. Um, And so this is a show that he picked up on after they ended Castle, which I saw a few episodes of that and wasn't a big fan. But I'm a big Nathan Fillion fan. Who's not? I know, right? Like It's good, yeah. Uh, The series follows John Nolan. That's uh, Nathan Fillion's character. 40-year-old man who moves from his comfortable small-town life to Los Angeles to pursue his dream of being a police officer for the Los Angeles Police Department. Then he must navigate the dangerous and humorous and sometimes unpredictable world of a young cop determined to make his second shot at life count. So he doesn't really go through a midlife crisis. It's more that just a lot of crazy stuff happens. He has a construction company and all this stuff. Um, and then he goes through a divorce. This is all like in the opening scene of the first episode. And then decides, I need a change of life. So about two years passes by and he ends up moving to Los Angeles and it's a cop. 
I'm after going to training and everything. And so this is him being a rookie cop, but at 40 years old. So. Yeah, I was gonna say he's like the oldest rookie. So he's like right? 40. <clears throat> yeah, no, he's an he's an old guy um, as uh, being a cop. Yeah, rookie that's cop. cool. I mean, because well, the, the real Nathan Fillon is like 40, right? Yeah, he's about to be he's about to be uh, 48 yeah, this year. So 40s. he's definitely getting up there. Yeah, uh, but he's still very uh, charming. Um, the show. I will sell you this. Nathan Fillion, best part of the show. Um, okay. The characters are interesting. The, the first, I've seen, I think I'm up to date. I think I've seen like the first six episodes or so. The show has a real difficult time trying to make you feel something. They're they're <laughs> trying to, they're, they're like, I want to make you laugh. Also, this is really serious. Also, this is cute and loving. Like, they are jumping tones all around. And is it is it like a show where every episode there's like a new threat or something? Or no, it's it's just him on the street. You know, it's a he's a beat cop, so it's all it is always something different Shit. going on. Um, but he's so the whole premise is that since he's new, he's a training officer, so he rides along with the training officer and follows him and two other uh, new officers as well that went to training. But are with they him. like young guys? Yeah, they're young. One so is that's a the whole play. Kid. And then the other one is a girl. Um, okay. And so they're they're just kind of showing their dynamic over there, and they they do. I I will say they do a very good job of character development. You do care about the the young officers and the training officers as well. But my my initial issue with the story was just that I don't know where they're trying to go because sometimes they'll, you know, Nathan Fillion's cracking jokes, but it is also serious. So he's trying to be serious in certain. So they situations they do have really that. haven't fine tuned the tone right. to kind of make things kind of mesh well. Exactly. Like. Is this the first season, right? Yes, it's the first season. So I mean, but there's definitely potential there. Okay. Um, I I do each episode kind of makes it feel a little better, and I think the last episode I saw was um kind of where they found the, the, a good balance so far. Good rhythm on yeah. it. Yeah. So okay. they're just finding their footing, but I really enjoy this show. It's it's different because it's I I like cop shows. I used to watch like much more serious ones though, like um, NYPD Blue and. Uh, Southland when that was yeah. out not too long ago, um, and so this one's a little bit more lighthearted, but I kind of like that um, with the because of the cast. So it's like a, not like Reno Nine One One, but uh, no, a Brooklyn Nine Nine type. Not not as it's not a slapstick, so it's still not okay. a comedy. It's it's just more it's more of a drama with humor in it. Oh, okay, yeah. Would would you recommend it? I would. I think if you're looking for something different um, and maybe tired of seeing some a lot of the dramas that are out there that are very heavy-handed mm-hmm. this is still easy enough for you to watch and pick up on um and find some humor in it but at the same time you know getting a little bit of the drama fix that you might want and where's it streaming or playing it's on streaming on hulu of course okay. um it is on abc though so you can watch it on there too oh nice cool. okay yeah um the other thing i watched was the two fire festival drama doc- documentaries <laughs> drama, it's more like drama documentaries um that were both on netflix called fire and on hulu the fire fraud um and that's about if you haven't heard about the fire festival that was supposed to be um kind of a big event that happened last year um there was a couple concert promoters billy mcfarlane was one and then supposedly rapper ja rule they advertised a high-end uh, festival experience that essentially fails spectacularly when they don't plan for the infrastructure to support the venue, artists, and guests. And this is all set in uh, the Caribbean. And um, this is kind of... Both both documentaries are about how things kind of unraveled, how the concept of the festival started, and then what's happened after the fact. Um, and the reason I bring up both is because they're, they're both a little different. So... That's what I heard. Yeah, for, so I for, heard it's better. You get the full spectrum if you watch both. Exactly, and I recommend if you're gonna if you're interested in this at all, I recommend watching it. Um, 
watching them both. Two uh, documentaries. Though. I know it's Ooh. it's intense, but it's, you know James and documentaries. Stuff. I'm like, mm, just give me the synopsis. I don't feel like I need to watch these. <laughs> well, Fire Fraud it talks specifically about that's the, the event. that's Netflix the one on Hulu. One? Oh, Hulu. Yeah. Sorry. So that one talks about um, the event of the concert as a whole um, and how things unfolded. And talks about uh, the kind of the main culprit, Billy McFarlane, who duped everybody. And they talk about the media companies that advertise it, like um, the Jerry Media, the Fuck Jerry yeah. guys for, that do the Instagram he's, posts. He's been known to be fraudulent and, yeah. and be shady like that. Exactly. Yeah. And so they really go into depth about that and showing how media kind of tainted people and how they were charging like $10,000 for rooms and cabanas and um things on the island and didn't deliver any of those promises and it was all false advertising um they talk about the models that were advertising at first and were essentially there on the island that was supposed to be but then after the fact after that initial shoot that was happening everything kind of fell apart and they ended up didn't they get one of the kardashians to didn't they pay one of the kardashians oh yeah they were all high-end supermodels that were a part of that um and they so they talk about how media on how social media is influencing people and how that works and and what it all kind of trickled down to. So it's a very good high-level view of it. Um, But the best thing about the fire fraud one on Hulu is that they actually have an interview with Billy McFarlane. And so, and they, they ask him like some tough questions. Like they're not trying to be biased on it at all. And they stump him a few times and it's hilarious. It sounds like the Hulu one is the best one to watch. It's much more controversy on that one though, that they had to pay him to interview him. Right. He was bidding. He was starting a bid war between the two and they, um, he went with Hulu. Yeah. Yeah, He was trying to make as much. This guy's just trash. But, they they didn't pull any punches with him, which was great. Um, the controversy with the fire one from Netflix is that it's it's a documentary by Vice, um, but it's also in partnership with Jerry Media because they got uh, and the reason they did that was because they got the much more in depth behind the scenes footage because they recorded a whole bunch of stuff. Oh yeah, so you get to see a lot more of the inner workings of the behind the scenes stuff. Um, whereas the Hulu one doesn't do that. It's more top level. Um, so that's for Netflix. That's more interesting to get to see conversations between Ja Rule and Billy McFarlane and how the whole model thing happened and on the real island and how things unfolded co- uh, at the, uh, the Nassau, um, in the Bahamas. Is, is it a spoiler if you tell us if Ja Rule like knew it was all fake? I will tell you from the one in the Netflix one, it seemed like he was very much involved because <laughs> you get to see a lot of the videos of him talking about it. He even says at one point, um, somebody, they're having like a, a touchdown about what was going on in the aftermath and the conference call with all these media people and um, internally. And ja, and one of the guys says, "We this is fraud we committed, right? Like, what do we do to fix this? And he goes and says, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think this is really fraud. This is more like... False, false advertising. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. So, which is hilarious. It's um, pretty much the same fucking thing. But the thing about the Netflix one is that they don't lean so heavy onto the blaming the media. So like Jerry Media and and the advertising part, they're like they're just innocent bystanders. They got paid to do this, and so they just did. They so had no I mean, idea it's it's on. them almost defending themselves, right? They were defending the media portion of it, but definitely Billy McFarlane and John Rule are to blame. Is what they were pushing it on. So that's where the two differences come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's an interesting perspective on it. But watching them both, you get a fuller picture of what's happening and realize that they're all pieces of shits and they're all to blame. And yeah. They misled a lot of people for this stuff. Yeah, I know. Right? Um, so, Nabil, if you could only watch one of them, though, which one would you say? <laughs> if I could only watch one, because <laughs> there's would... no way James is watching both. I would. I mean, watch... I'll tell you right now. 
a hundred percent chance I'm not watching either one of these. I would <laughs> watch the Fire tape. Netflix one because okay. they'll, as long uh, as you know that it's going to be a little bit more biased to the media side of it. The the footage that they have is way better, uh, and they interview everybody but Billy McFarlane, and all these guys are hilarious to see them talk about how they got duped in the conversations they have. Like, it's just a better production overall. Okay, that's what I've been watching. All right, so James, what about you? What have you been watching? So for mine, guys, I watched quite a few movies. Actually, I'm doing the Oscar kind of roundup, as both of you guys know. What? Got a, really? Got a list. No, that's crazy. I'm almost done. No, I didn't know this. Nabil, did you know this? I only no. have like four more movies. So by the time next pod, out. they'll all be done. So I saw the 2018 film. It's a Disney movie called Christopher Robin. And I don't know if you guys have heard of Christopher Robin or never had a fucking childhood. No clue who that is. But... <laughs> Is Let me tell you a little bit about what it's about. Is it a bird? Did he watch some kind of nature documentary? What is this? Um, so basically, Christopher Robin is a live action movie that is set place about 30 years after the events of the final um, Winnie the Pooh um, episode. So it's like a continuation of like the stories, basically. And he, he's grown up, right? Yeah. So, so it's like Hook for Winnie the Pooh? Um, huh. Kind of interesting connection there. Like that? Not it. quite though. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> never mind, Marco. Not okay. really. It's not like. All right. he, I mean, in, I to, a, to a point, I guess. But it's it's a uh, it's a little more lighthearted than that. Um, so it's been thirty years. Christopher Robin's played by Ewan McGregor, who nice. uh, does a really good role in this. And basically, Christopher has returned from the war. He got injured in World War II, and basically, he started a family. He has a daughter, and he's working for a luggage company, and he's pretty much forgotten about like his old friends hook is okay <laughs> i know right um so basically what happens is he's basically forgetting about like family and all that shit and way the Pooh shows up one day just out of the blue literally uh, <laughs> he pops out of the closet i mean Pooh is bas- basically poo and everybody else have been waiting for years for um christopher to come back but he forgot about him so basically Pooh shows up and Christopher, it's kind of funny. At first, he thinks he's nuts because he's like, <laughs> this is weird. Because yeah. at first, even the viewer, as a viewer, it's kind of strange seeing them live. I tweeted this. As a, and uh, they look yeah, kind of scary. Yeah, I, I was listening to this last film cast talk about how freaky the animals look like. It It's only really the first scene at first because it's like this little boy that's like 11 or 12 years old. And he's talking to all his friends and they're having like a final birthday cake or something or some shit and they leave because he's like leaving to boarding school yeah and it's funny because they look so real that it's almost like uncanny valley like it's like the like, stuff man. that nightmares are made so out it of. looks like stuffed animals come to life yeah That's and they're weird. talking and eating food and like they're totally okay no one thinks it's weird and then later on in life you don't as a viewer you don't understand if everybody can see poo all right you're like, can they see him? Yeah, he's like legit real. Like, there's no like, this is not just in Christopher Robin's head. Like, if he talks, people are like, what the hell? Did that bear just talk? And he's eating honey and shit. Uh, regardless, though. <laughs> of course. Good is. movie. Really? really touching. It tugs at the heartstrings. It has a very cool little story about him kind of redeeming himself and realizing the issues he has, like, even with his own daughter, like his relationship with her. So it, it works out really well. And then um, it, it, it goes from like, a pretty dramatic story into basically like Pooh in the Hundred Acre Woods, oh, which is kind of weird because yeah. like it becomes like an episode where everybody's like, "We got to help Christopher Robin." <laughs> 
and like the old school cartoon yeah exactly like the old school cartoon which worked actually and i think even mcgregor does really well for it's it's strange because the film once again they're acting and obviously these things weren't really there so he's sure playing. oh i mean is Pooh Bear real <laughs> i mean sorry he might be so, <laughs> they were like he's real they put him out of the disney vault they're like you're gonna work for the next <laughs> <laughs> they have a fucking Pooh tied up yeah in a street he's jacket like, please let me go but he has like black eyes and they're just so like lifeless you look into him yeah, like he's a doll dude if 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 fucking Pooh killed someone on set i wouldn't be shocked <laughs> Like a Chucky doll, he's like, he's back from 30 years ago, and he's killing again. And he wants honey. <laughs> yeah. Or your blood. Um, solid movie, though, guys. It got nominated for Best Visual Effects. Well, I mean... And I can see why now, because yeah. it, it is really well done. Like, the way that they... I did the little special features on it, too. And they basically would, like, green screen in, or, like, they had... They actually held the actual items, and then they would put the visual effects on top of them. Which is really interesting because that's incredibly hard to do. Right. Wow. So I, I mean, this was mo- one of the more bigger shockers that I saw nominated. I did not think this was going to get nominated, but I'm kind of happy it did. Pretty cool. Hmm. Last one here, guys, because I know all three of us can talk about it. Is we all three plus some friends saw Green Book actually, which came back out in November, but we finally got around to watching it. And if you follow us, you can actually see on our Instagram that we posted about it. We did. Yes, we did. So Green Book is about a working-class Italian-American bouncer becoming the driver of an African-American classical pianist on a tour of venues through the 1960s American South. So funny thing, though, I keep bringing up. This is directed by Peter Farley, which is the one half of the Farley brothers that did, like, Dumb and Dumber, Kingpin, There's Something About Mary, Me, Myself, and Irene. All the good classics. Stuck on you. Hilarious. <laughs> uh, this stars Viggo Mortensen as Tony Lip and Mahershala Ali as Dr. Don Shirley. Tony Deep Dish Lip. <laughs> so basically, I like this movie a lot. So this movie's been getting trashed a lot because I guess it's it's kind of predictable. It's one of those kind of quote unquote Oscar bait films, but I really felt like this was a really good story. I enjoyed the transformation of Viggo Mortensen's character from the beginning. From being a pretty prejudiced racist guy that is throwing away cups that like black dudes used uh, that came over to fix his like faucet or something to mm-hmm. a guy that's embracing a dude by the end of the movie. I I agree. I like the movie too. I I don't understand much of the controversy because of the, because some of it is saying that it's predictable. Well, it's based on a true fucking story. Of course, we're going to know what the outcome is. Bohemian Rhapsody is like that. We all pretty much know what happens at the end. But I don't agree with the fact that it's all like hollywood polished because there are some rough scenes in there that kind of show how uh, like a self-reflection of how things are then versus now and how things still need to change as far as racism goes and yeah like james was saying vigo mortensen's character's arc is actually really great and heartfelt because he his eyes open up to the reality of things and it's it's done very well the dynamics between the two also between uh tony lip and dr shirley is great because dr shirley at the same time while being a well-mannered um guy he he learns a little bit more from tony lip as well and it it helps with their relationship and their their friendship establishing throughout yeah. the movie. I gotta so. say, Viggo Mortensen was hilarious in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's just sort of like matter of factly. It's he 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 always speaks his mind. He never holds back, and it's like he never 
it's like he's not uh it's really blunt yeah he's very blunt it, and it, it shows and it's hilarious so i don't know if, if you enjoyed it nabil or not so. no i i did and i agree v- vigo mortensen's character um tony lip was i think the whole the whole appeal to him is that he had a lot of opportunity to stray kind of to a darker path, but he really is trying to stay um, on the straight and narrow um, to try to provide for his family and be good and, you know, just make an honest work, uh, honest living for himself. Um, but at the same time, you know, he's he is brash. He's he's blunt about it. He can be a tough guy when he needs to be. He knows mm-hmm. he knows what he needs to do to kind of get get by when he need when he has to. I think also the the dynamic between him and. Mahershali's uh, character is that they're they they are very much at opposite in in very in many many ways and um, it kind of kind of comes to a, a big implosion that there's a scene where um, Mahershali's is essentially exclaiming you know if he's and and I'm, this is not the exact quote so forgive me but he's essentially saying that if he's not black enough to be black or white enough to be white you know then who is he you know like such a powerful scene yeah and and that's kind of like his whole complex of the characters like i'm trying to be the best person that i can be in this world where they won't accept me alienated on both sides exactly and he doesn't know what what he can do um but what he's doing he wants to do what he loves and he and that whole journey between the two characters growing and and their relationship founder uh kind of blossoming while knowing that they're in a situation where they both are not very comfortable with, both not very accepted, um, yeah. and they're just trying—it's essentially trying to prove a point that you know I can I can do these things and I should be accepted for the merit, not for what I look like or what my background is. I will say though, kind of like what James is saying with the critics bashing on it, there's there is some some things that people have talked about about just how they're, they're portraying the, the the racism on there or or the the growth of Tony Lip's character from being extremely racist all of a sudden, you know, accepting it. But he was over there with him with two months. Um, specifically, just how it ended, the fairy kind of the fairy tale happy ending thing. Hollywood where ending, yeah. All of a sudden, yeah, the Hollywood ending where uh, Doctor Sherry just comes to the house and everybody the whole family embraces him like oh welcome and i know they're being polite and it's it's fine but the way they set the tone with how the family feels about african-americans and then how this man just shows up on the first time they met him and they kind of embrace him that seemed a little far-fetched to me but i mean i get what they were trying to do to make it very wholesome um so that i didn't like i think that was just kind of playing it safe right from what i'm seeing i mean you got to remember once again it's the other half of the farley brothers directing yeah. this <laughs> pretty miraculous we even got this guys no it's it's a good film though only film that that i've seen for the for for the uh kind of the more independent oscar films that i both laughed you know was got emotional on and and really wanted to see the whole film through like i did there wasn't any kind of feeling of like Oh, when is this going to be over? But more like, what's going to happen next? What's going on? I yeah, want to see more. Yeah, but uh, that is what I've been seeing. What about you, Marco? I've been seeing a couple of things. Well, actually, no, I take that back. I've been having trouble with my streaming services on my Xbox One oh, S, no. and they've been uh, not working properly, so I've been limited. But uh, my HBO was working, so I was able to watch True Detective Season 3. Um, I've seen first four episodes i believe and as you all know it is a uh, murder mystery show uh created by nick pizzolato um this season uh stars uh, mahershala ali also speaking of from the green book who plays detective wayne hayes uh, steven dorf who plays detective roland west 
Corman Ijogo, who plays Amelia Reardon, and a few other uh, notable actors and actresses as well. But uh, if you don't know, I think we have talked about True Detective on up the pod before, but it's uh, pretty much like an anthology where each season tells a different story about uh, detectives solving uh, a crime. I know season two got a lot of a lot of bash because it veered away from the formula of season one and season three is right back to that formula where it's a retelling of an old case through various timelines only only this one does it a little bit differently but in this season two detectives investigate the disappearance of a couple of young children while dealing with the local politics of their small southern town um, it takes place in three timelines as well in the 1980s the 1990s and then 2015 and it's through this perspective of uh, Detective Wayne Hayes, uh, Ali's character. And I'm liking it. I got to tell you, I'm really liking this uh, this season a lot. Again, it's right back to its form, but it does things um, a little bit differently. For example, the partners in this one versus season one, they actually get along. They have each other's backs versus the first season when they're at, at odds with each other. They're just put together for a case so they they're forced to work together whereas this one they they have an established history which i appreciate it, it's back to that noir feeling and in does better with uh with the mystery of the crime i don't want to spoil too much of it because uh quite a bit has been revealed in the last four episodes and i went in blind without watching a trailer as well and i i recommend doing that because i think you you get a better experience that way um, I think pulling back from too many main characters versus the second season has helped it as, as well too because you are you feel more connected rather than spread around and you don't get to know much of the characters like you in this one like you did in season two. I don't know. I'm liking it. And I know James has been starting to watch it too. So Yeah, that's a, it's a solid show. I would say the thing that I like, I'm one of the people that didn't like season two. Season three does return to that formula. I think a little too much though sometimes, especially like recently on the episodes itself. I will I will say that's probably my one qualm to it is that it, it seems like um, uh, Nick Pizzolatto is playing it safe because he doesn't want any backlash like he got from the last season. I think kind of to a point, but I mean the the partners aren't actually perfect because even in the latest episode, like something happened because in two twenty fifteen Wayne is suffering from dementia, so that adds a whole other layer to the story so basically wayne is an unreliable narrator right so you see a lot of things from his perspective but truthfully i don't think a lot of it's true yeah so that's this... kind of a cool thing about it well is he really remembering it right yeah. or because you, is he you getting hear a his lot thoughts of it, mixed up you hear it through like his son is asking him like hey, have you been here before and he meets up with his old partner and apparently they had a huge falling out at one point too so it's like it's setting up and foreshadowing for future episodes which is kind of the brilliance of the show yeah. is that a, a lot of these episodes you can come back to and because they've made Revisit. references to it before, right. just like season one in a way. Yeah. And they've even made like a reference that like this show, this season is in the same universe as season one. So there's a connection that's that. I mean, that's where it's almost too fucking convenient though. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's one of those things like e- either is going to work or not, but so far, I mean four or five episodes in, it seems like it's working. So I'd recommend it too. Uh, the other thing I watched, or movie rather, is uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, the uh, 2018 biopic of the super band Queen. I actually saw this one in theaters uh, 
but I didn't get a chance to mention it. And I recently saw it again because my brother hadn't seen it. And we're like, dude, we got to watch this. But uh, again, it's a 2018 movie about Queen. And it stars uh, Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury, Lucy Boynton as Mary Austin, uh, Gwilym Lee as Brian May, Ben Hardy as Roger Taylor, and Joseph Mazzello as John Deacon. So basically, like I said, it's the story of the legendary rock band queen and the lead singer freddie mercury and the whole movie is pretty much leading up to their famous performance at live aid in 1985 and i love the movie um it's not a hundred percent accurate but it's enjoyable and it and it works I know that the majority of the story is from the perspective of the band members Queen, uh, Brian May, and the surviving members of the band um, had a lot of um, crea- uh, creative control for how the story was going to go. So, and it, it kind of shows in the movie because there's not there's no real uh, pushback or no real challenging moment for the band. But I think uh, Malik killed it as Mercury. He's like a, a stunning mirror image of him. And it's just so brilliant to watch him because it feels like you're actually watching a young Freddie Mercury perform. Um, The story, like I said, is tame for the most part. There's no real controversy, uh, but again, it works. They also take their liberties and make some stuff up in the movie. But uh, overall, like I said, it it works and it's a fun portrayal of the band. And uh, again, it's, uh, it's nominated for Best Film, so... I recommend it, especially if you're a big Queen fan. You'll you'll definitely find yourself bobbing your head and singing along to some of the tunes, like I did, even if you're off key. But um, it's uh, still playing in theaters, so check it out. If not, um, it should be available for rental soon on Amazon Prime Video. So yeah, yeah. it's uh, you can buy it early right now, right now digitally. Yeah. So. There you go. So yeah, I I recommend it. Check it out. Awesome. Let's move on to our topic of the week. It's the topic of the week. All right, guys. So this week's topic is um, going to be more of a back to our earlier days of, of the pod, more of a conversational topic. Um, I'm done. Bye, guys. <laughs> James is I only do top this. threes or top tens. I'm out of here. We like numbers here, guys. Numbers. I'm Sorry, Nabil. It's, it's uh, true to form here, guys. Um, so with the Oscars coming out and our film review this this week, uh, Roma, I figured that this would be a good time to talk about uh, the the best picture films and what it is, in our opinion, that makes a best picture. What what do we feel like could be considered as a best picture? What what qualifies it, especially with the Academy? And and I say that because this year, especially, has a very eclectic uh, choice of best picture nominees. Um, we'll go through them quickly here: uh, Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, Roma, The Favorite, Green Book, A Star Is Born, Vice. Those are all very different films, all totally different. Some of them are indie, some of them are big blockbusters, superhero films, uh, period pieces, all over the place. Um, and there are a lot more nominees, too. And I think what really sparked this whole idea of, of getting an idea of what Best Picture was is actually from an article I read from IndieWire. And I just kind of want to read a little paragraph from it. Um, and this is more related to Roma. Because it's actually nominated in both, uh, quite a few ca- categories, but specifically Best Foreign Language Film and Best Picture. Yeah. Um, and one of the things IndieWire writes about it is that in the nine-decade history of the Academy, no foreign language film has ever won. 
Um, the Artist, which was in 2011, was a French film, but it was silent. silent. I mean, right. Yeah. Nine foreign language uh, films received five or more nominations among a bunch of different categories, but not all of them. Um, and some of them, of course, included foreign language films. Of these, perhaps two, 1969's Z and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which came out in 2000, mm-hmm. had a legitimate shot at winning Best Picture. Um, and so this is where I kind of started thinking, well, what is it that made Roma... Um, want to be best picture, you know, on top of being foreign film. And so I think that it's very interesting this day where you look at the trends of films that have been nominated. And from before, I mean, a few decades back, it, it wasn't indie films that were being nominated, as you've seen the trend in the last 10 years. They have been big blockbuster films or big budget films or big names attached to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's slowly gotten more independent films, gotten more notoriety. And I think this year, at least within this this millennium, right, this century, you've actually seen a, a broader um, selection this time. And I, I think that's very interesting at the time to see where people's choices are and what, what the Academy is trying to do to get people's interest. So I'd like to start off with you, James, to get your input since you've, you've obviously had a lot more kind of background and history with, with uh, film and yeah. get your idea of what you think about that. I mean, it's hard to figure out what the trend is. I feel like recently the Academy is not very popular. So a lot of these times they're trying to put trendier films in these things. So, I mean, that's why you see Black Panther. No offense to Black Panther, of course, but I mean, I'll bet you anything Black Panther doesn't win this thing. So um, it's one of those things that it seems like it's almost like a, hey, maybe if you put a popular film, they'll like us or they'll tune in because of the viewership of this show has gone down every single year. So, I mean, for fuck's sake, they couldn't even get a host this year, right? Right. No one wants to touch this thing. Um, truthfully, for me, though, for what I see in these films... I mean, most of these ones, at least, are that these are all movies that move you in some way outside of like Vice or some shit, I guess. Like all these movies are films that these are the reasons we go to the movies. So these are technically the eight films, top films of the year, technically. Right. That's theoretically what it means. Buzzworthy ones. Yeah, these are these are it. If you're going to see if you gave someone a list of like what films should I see like these eight, you can see these eight, right? So these are movies that are touching. These are movies that are you're going to talk about afterwards. These are movies that, in some kind of way, I feel like even since... I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, doing these Oscar films. I mean, we just talked about it. I've seen... The last 10 years, I've seen every one of the movies on the list outside of uh, that 9-11 one in 2011. <laughs> kind of Sorry. That's so random, right? Yeah. Um, But, I mean, that's insane. Like, 99%, right? So... Obviously, through all these ones, these are all movies that are supposed to be the best. So, it's a movie that is has characters that are relatable. I would say it has characters or actions. It doesn't always have to be a character that I think you have to actually like be like, oh, that's like that's someone I would know. Like, like Bohemian Rhapsody is fantastic because it's a story about a guy that basically came from nothing or some yeah. people telling him he couldn't do it, and then he became the greatest like singer slash rock star in the entire world, right? Um, same with the stars born. It's about a, it's a, I mean, double remake, but if fuck, I mean the Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga's chemistry is some of the best chemistry I've seen in the entire, like any movie I've seen all year. So True. every one of these movies has something that's outstanding in it, basically. But, uh, you know, what I'd like to touch on that is, though, la- uh, last pod, we talked about our favorite films of the year, right? Yeah. Um, uh, um, and one of the things I wanted to bring up about that was that you guys had looked at um, if Beale Street could talk was one of your favorite films that okay. wasn't nominated at all. 
And so, fucking shame. Right. And fucking it was a shame. great yeah. film, right? I mean, I, I personally yes, haven't fantastic. seen it, but I know that you guys had talked very highly of it. Um, I mean, it's, but, not, it's nominated, but it's not just, nominated for just Best to, Picture. Just to, to right. chime in, and I think, I think those are two different things because our opinions of what makes uh, a Best movie differs from probably what the Academy is looking for because they're going to be looking for a certain thing. And obviously, most of these movies have had to send out feelers and screenings to the Academy to come out and look at it and stuff like that. Not every movie can do that because I guess it's expensive or whatever, or whatever the logistics are. But like that movie, I feel like Beale Street is a type of movie that I think would make a, like a best movie or even movies that haven't been touched. Like um, we we mentioned in our top 10 movies also uh, Blind Spotting. That's another Spotting, really yeah. great oh, movie as well, so. too, that didn't get it, then that didn't get in. But I think, like, I agree with what James says. Like, the, it has to have uh, story and characters that are incredible or something that grasps you and moves you uh, in ways that are difficult to express or explain that give you that feeling that you have to talk about this to somebody. Like, I have to tell somebody about this movie. And it, it doesn't have to be a big blockbuster. It can be a simple story that, you know, in any ordinary person's life would be in the background but if done well and executed well it will actually shine and be in the spotlight and give you those feelings that i just described but unfortunately sometimes those movies they don't always make it into into that bunch so that's why i think those are two different things as far as like what the academy expects and what i think should make a best movie and and I totally I, I totally agree with that uniqueness in a story. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a big star that's on the film, you know, the cast. There's also just from a pure cinematic standpoint. There's you know musicals have won best yeah. picture, and just from the score that they've had or just music itself, um, they, it, it is a very diverse list of films that have won and been nominated. I mean, two years ago, Moonlight won, right? Yeah. And, initially it was kind of like la la land might win just based off of that premise and how original that yeah. kind of mm-hmm. musical was and then moonlight came out and 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 uh, I, I would say maybe stole the stole the show but i think no they rightfully um, won but they did yeah. they yeah. did um they ended it great for that um and so there are a lot of like upsets and unexpected things and and just kind of looking at like the last 10 years of of Academy Award winners, um, we have in 2018, Shape of Water, Moonlight in 2017, Spotlight in 2016, Birdman in 2015, um, then we have 12 Years a Slave, and then Argo, The Artist, King's Speech, and Hurt Locker, and you'll see that, that, like I said, this last decade, kind of more independent, smaller films, and as you go further back, say in the early 2000s, you have like Million Dollar Baby, Lord of the Rings, Chicago, uh, winners in those obviously much bigger films, bigger right. production, um, bigger budgets on there. So there's there's a change of taste, I think. Also, um, I also I feel I, I've been I've been um, there's been a lot of stories recently about the Academy because of the controversies about the hosts, right. um, and also just them being able to appeal to the masses. Um, and one of the things people have talked about a lot are how the nomination process works and how the the voting works for Best Pictures and essentially how much money can you throw at it to get your movie yeah, out there. Yeah, you have to do know. that too. Um, and I think that's also might be a part of it, getting getting um, your your name out there and saying, hey, look at my movie, watch it. You know, let's vote yeah. on this. Let's get something out there. And that does sometimes, like Beale Street or or Blind Spottings, you know, might hurt them because they don't have that kind of money to yeah. throw to get the people att- people's and, attention. And also, like you and James were saying, like they want because they're losing viewership and because they're losing popularity, they want to try to 
uh, appease people and try to get people to start watching them again. So maybe they'll throw, um, y- you know, there's a, one a, every year, guys. Yeah, yeah they'll they'll, they'll throw something in there to try to draw people in there. Like I agree like with did get, was Get Out gonna win last year? Fuck right. no, no. But they do it to grab the viewership and stuff. And I think that's what differentiates the 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 nominees in the last decade versus the the previous decades uh, beyond that. And what James is saying, I agree 100% with what he says. Black Panther got nominated, yes, but it's not going to win, and that's not a bash on the movie. It's just that it's it's uh, it's a cat. I I'll say it. It's Academy bait. That's what it is because people are going to see. Oh, Black Panther's nominated. I'm going to watch this to see if it wins, or at least catch the last 30 minutes to see if it wins, yeah. just to get disappointed. Let's see if somebody fucks up again and flubs yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But I think that is what draws as far as what the nominees goes. Is they're going to pick movies that that yeah that they know they're going to pick to win, and also they're going to draw. They're gonna pick the uh, the uh, Academy baits, the ones that are gonna get people to come out and watch the the damn show. Which in in, in the some of these films, oh, most of these films uh, on their own merit, standing alone, are great films. Like we talked about, especially you know we're leaning on Black Panther, but there's like A Star Is Born, great film. Bradley Cooper did a great job directing this for the first time. Didn't get nominated as best director, but the film got nominated. Lady Gaga got nominated for best actress. Um, and there's obviously the song uh, "Shallow" has been nominated as well. Bradley Cooper got nominated too, right? For actor, for Maybe? actor, yes. He I did not so. get nominated for director. Though. Don't quote me on it, but um, I think he did. Yeah. And so you know, there's there's that too that you look at. The film itself is really good, and and how they put that together, and and cinematography is great, music's great, just this feeling sort of that. And each film has its own little thing. Um, I I do feel that. It, it does also show you a sign of time so that the trends do change because like like you guys were discussing you hit on some of the topics of what makes uh what you think is makes a, a best picture um but i, I mean it that, doesn't necessarily necessarily mean it's the most popular movie so. right yeah and i think each year you you will start seeing that evolve and i think that this year specifically is a is a telltale sign of how you know next year and going forward there will probably be more blockbuster films or bigger films if if they're the merit is there um i mean they're trying to add that whole like popular yeah i mean they did they tried to do that earlier in the year right or end of last year the best they were going to do it for this one but then it just didn't work out there maybe not this year i don't think people really liked that they were they were voting for the best director or something like that so it's it's interesting and i think that's one thing i do like about the academy over the um other awards and maybe what makes it a little bit more prestigious too is that they are open to um, adjusting to the times yeah. it might take them some time to do it it takes them a while yes yeah. but they will eventually you know start adding different categories i mean we just talked about hurt, earlier. hurt the ratings and it, uh, you know yeah. and then they'll <laughs> start yeah. to you know i think it's change. one of those things where i mean they need to get back to where they're back to like a prestigious kind of yeah seen in as, as the most elite award you know mm-hmm. and i think that's the last 10 years it's probably gotten tarnished a bit they're trying their best but i mean this this might be a shit show Come the twenty fourth, tell you yeah, the whole thing. Oh, we're about fun. to find out. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. By the way, rival at Oscar party. Um, but I mean, you know, it's still a celebration of film. It's something I love to do. So yeah, and it I mean, takes you up know, takes up three months of my life. You don't. <laughs> like, you <laughs> ultimately, this is just my opinion. 
I don't know if you guys will agree. You don't have to agree with what the Academy says either or what they vote on or who wins. Right. I mean, we have our own top 10 movies of the year. My favorite film was Mission Impossible Fallout, guys. Okay? <laughs> so, yeah, see? So, again... That didn't even get nominated for yeah. a single thing. There should be a fucking Tom Cruise Award yeah, every really year. Like, be. whoever will, did the craziest I, shit. Well, you know, action movies used to be nominated for, like, special effects and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, stunts. they still are. If you look at visual so, visual arts, yeah. just throw that uh, in there. visual effects, they're still in there. So, yeah. so I mean if a movie follows some, at least some of the parameters and i don't know you guys tell us your our listeners tell us what you guys think what makes a best movie in your opinion but like james and i are kind of almost like in the, in the same realm and i think Nabil, you i don't know if you agree right now with what we said as far as like it's got to have like story characters they got to carry each other it, it's got to be something that grasps you and also of course my personal favorite cinematography because you know, oh, like visuals. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it, if it fits all those, I mean, that's just a bonus, I guess. Yeah, if cinematography it, it, has its own. True, thing, true. So. But I mean, like, I, I think a like a best movie has all those kind of like in there, squeezed in there, two point. And I, if a movie has all that, then it should make a, a best movie, even if it's not one that's nominated or one that wins. If, in your opinion or in your heart, it is one, then it is. I think these are all really good points, and. It, it, it as you said, Marco, really is just your opinion on what it is. You don't have to take everything to you know what the Academy's sharing with and what they're you know nominating. Definitely share your opinions with us. Let us know what you think. Um, share that on Twitter or on Instagram or on Facebook. We're we may even here. ask you on Instagram. So yeah. stay tuned for that. All right, guys, let's move on now to our movie review of Roma. All right, so the IMDb description of Roma is a year in the life of a middle-class family's maid in Mexico City in the early 1970s. <clears throat> this is directed by Alfonso Cuaron. He directed E2 Mama Tambien in 2001, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban in 2004, Children of Men in 20, uh, 2006, sorry, and then Gravity in 2013. Um, I'm going to apologize right off the top here for the names because... Um, um, these are all Hispanic people. James, and I'm I'm proud of you. You're, you're doing a good job. He's trying. I mean, I always try. I usually do a decent job. So uh, this stars Elitza Aparicio as Cleo, Marina de Tavira as Sofia, Nancy Garcia Garcia as Adela, Fernando Gurdiagag as Antonio, and Jorge Antonio Guerrero as Fermin. So starting off with you guys, Nabil, yay or nay? Yay. It was an excellent film. Um it's it, yeah it's, it's a slice <laughs> of life like in the most literal sense as you could put it he took a screenshot this is this person's life this is what's going yeah. on right i mean now, it is it is based him. on his memories of his actual like nanny yeah yep. growing up yeah mm-hmm. and i and i think he did just a really good job of us following this person's life while also um setting the backdrop of the 1970 and 71 um mexico and what was happening over there so excellent film what about you, uh, Mark? Fuck, Marco? <laughs> Jesus. The okay, names, have, guys. The I names. have a hard Jeez. name to pronounce, guys. I apologize. Marco Berrios. There Sorry, we go. go uh, what, uh, what about you, Marco? It's a hard yay for me. This movie is fucking gorgeous. I told you guys. It's <laughs> beautiful. It's 
it's beyond anything that I can express right now. See, that that's what I was talking about with the whole academy thing. Like, yeah. it's, it's hard to express. Uh, I, I, I agree with I agree with what you said, Nabil. It's a, it's a slice of life. It's it's a a look into a person's life and the events that occur throughout the span of a year, and it's just done so well. Um, yeah. Because you're you're just looking at it as someone looking back in time and seeing the events happen. You can't change anything. Everything just it it happens, and that's what that's what it is. And you and you take it and you feel it all as if you're right there. And I appreciated it. And I'm recommending this movie to everybody. Everybody's gonna watch this movie. It's great. So I loved it. What about you, James? What oh did yeah, you think? I really like this movie quite a bit. Which is strange because once again, it's a foreign film. So yeah, I'm not using my cup of tea. And this whole last week, I've been watching quite a few. Roma is a movie that, like we were talking about, is a movie that is. Sh- from like 70% of uh, the director's memories of yeah. like um, actual events that happened like with his father and the maid and all this stuff like that. And I think it works so well that it's, it, it's a movie that even though it takes place in the seventies, it's, 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 it's a story that it's such a engrossing story that it kind of just grasps you. And it just tells you like, this is how shit was. And you can tell there's a lot of love that was done when they filmed this movie. Yeah. And um it's I mean it's great. And I think I mean this could win best picture like hands down. I would <clears throat> I wouldn't mind if it did. Cuz even the way he filmed it, the the fact that he didn't even give anybody their lines until right before they filmed the scene. Yeah, he wanted to he, keep it like real reactions yeah, too. Yeah. Real reactions. He wanted he wanted the feeling of the chaos of life to to be carried out by the actors themselves and i think that worked perfect so and i mean the, the way we're doing this by the way guys i mean i i do have notes for us but this could be more of a conversation we're going throwback today Bill. <laughs> so i mean the way it's shot did you guys enjoy the black and white and also um i mean the many angles everything is shot at at certain points too cinematography wise um you know, I actually tried to picture it as I was watching some of the scenes um, in color and was trying to see, would I have appreciated this more? With or, And honestly, it adds a lot more drama um, it does. to it with it being in black and white. And I actually I like that part of it. It even gives you kind of more of a sense of like, because um, the main theme, uh, as we talked about Marco and I on the way here, was like water plays a big role. Yeah. yeah. And even though like, I mean, water has no color, so technically it kind of correlates with even like the cleanliness of certain scenes mm-hmm. and then certain scenes you can tell are like dirty, even though it's black and white. And I, I think the, the black and white uh, added more, more depth to, to where you actually felt relatable to these characters a lot more. Right. And it felt like it's something yeah. like anyone could, could live in. This it was strange. Cause I saw a picture of uh Yulitsa, right? Who plays Cleo. Oh, I didn't. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's how she looks like for real, like without without black and white, you know. So you forget, you know. Yeah, right. But I mean, it it makes you feel like this could be like a day in life in you know any ordinary person's life, you know, of the same yeah. caliber because it's a middle class family. So it, it, but I I still think that shooting it in black and white helped that and and helped carry the story better. I really enjoyed um, Yalitza Aparicio, the lady that played Cleo. She's not an actor, that's why. Mm-mm. And she was like studying to be a teacher, and she had to wait eight months basically to get her like um, um, test results to be completed and such. So she's yeah. like, might as well try for this movie. Like she had never heard of like Alfonso Cuarón before the film, no. so or seen any of his movies. 
and she gives a very real performance which i think you can tell like there's a there's a lot of love in her like she loves those kids yeah in yeah. the movie and i think that's a relatable thing i mean i never had a nanny or anything but just seeing it, it it seemed like a really realistic take on how back then or even nowadays like a lot of times maids or nannies kind of raise the kids they do in these kind yeah. of families and i think too um to add to that the shots that Alfonso Cuaron did with um, his signature shots of just kind of the the long panels of just. Looks oh, you like all you connected. literally watch them yeah. doing stuff. Yeah. You're you're just following everything through her perspective the whole way through, yeah. and it's it's really insightful. You're looking at it not from being outside, but again, you're immersed especially, into the especially the shots yeah. where she's running with her friend like through the street, and they they literally are tracking them the entire time from one point to the next, and uh, the beach scene too, where she goes back to the beach area then goes back into the water and then goes back it's all one shot yeah which is the director's kind of trademark by yeah. the way. It, it allows you to really take yeah. everything in like really sink like so like, like you said up. like a slice of life yeah mm-hmm. exactly and it's like you you really get to take a look at everything around the surroundings and feel like like you said Nabil, like you're fully immersed into the scene man like three things that really stuck out the mm-hmm. water i was telling james this too the water the way the water is shot in almost every scene is just is so great. Yeah. The cars, something about like just the cars and the way they look in the black and white light, and that damn dog, fucking adorable. Like, Sorry, there's, there's a dog. lot of there's a lot of metaphors. But, like every time a yeah. plane is shown, it's showing it's supposed to be like a representation that like there's there's another life somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So you see it in the beginning of the movie with through the reflection of the water and then at the very end when she's going back to work and you can see it in the back. There's a plane mm-hmm. coming through too. Part, part of the reason he shot on location in Mexico City too. He said that. there was like a plane every fifteen yeah. minutes flying over it. The the car itself, the family car, the Ford in itself is a representation what James and I are talking about this too. It's a representation of the life events like first it's nice and pristine yeah. it gets beat up throughout the the movie and then finally you know it it, it gets destroyed. you know it gets sold yeah it gets yeah. destroyed it gets sold so it, it shows how the changes throughout the year how the family changes and how um the life shapes them yeah. to a point yeah so. um did you guys think anything didn't work in this one Honestly, no. I, I not really either. Too. I think that the film was, if if not perfect, damn near perfect. This is a I damn near perfect film. You know? Yeah, there was almost nothing that I didn't feel didn't work. Even the kids, that they're acting, um, very natural, very fluid, and I'm sure it was. To be honest, um, I know I know it's harder for us part. to rate the acting of someone in a foreign language film. Yeah, but. I mean, from what we saw, I, I really appreciate it. I even liked the mom, Sophia. Yeah. Yeah. Even though she, I mean, she's going through some really rough stuff. We'll talk about it in the spoilers, obviously. And I mean, it's realistic, like what's going on. It's a shitty situation and she's trying to make the best out of it. I mean, the fact that, you know, it, it takes place in Mexico and it's a Latin family. Being Latino and growing up, there was a lot of scenes where I was like, man, this reminds me a lot of me, like kind of growing up, like with the, the brothers, like the way they, they were fighting and stuff like that. And the way they would say things to each other in Spanish it reminded me of like me and my brother when we would have like little tussles and fights when mm-hmm. we were kids and stuff. So he did a really good job yeah. at showing that and repre- and and uh, showcasing the realism of that. So I, I will say without before we go into spoilers uh, that one of my friends had uh, gave me a very interesting 
point of view and perspective of the film. And a shout out to Stephen Campos, who's a pod listener. And he said that one of the things that really got him is that he felt that this was a more naturalistic superhero film and a sense of that women are the superheroes here. Because mm-hmm. if you look at how the film is set and what's going on, all the issues that happen are around men are either getting harmed because of their young foolish selves doing something kind of True. they shouldn't be doing and the women are just kind of there to have to be silent and put to the side and keep things together um and things that happen to cleo throughout her ordeal um involving a man and then also um involving uh, antonio and and what's happening to the family she's kind of silent there and and is still trying to keep the family together and be supportive there while still doing her job and being not really directly a member of the family foundation yeah keeping that foundation together and um it is very much you know the a subtle um, or maybe not so subtle um not at at women and they're you know the, what strong they're characters going through. Yeah, holding strong characters, i mean exactly holding the film together yeah. and holding the family together and going through all this that's going on around them um and still even how the film ends is still pushing forward that's you know? an interesting perspective no that's, i really that, i like that that's cool because i mean yeah. it's it's it definitely something where this film definitely gives you the look that like these are strong female characters in these films and without these characters the family would just dissipate i guess right. destroy itself and it's hinted at a lot. Even like Cleo goes through a lot. She's, I mean, is it spoilers? I guess. Yeah, that's spoilers. I got a whole lot on that one. But I mean, later on when she's doing like even the training thing, she's like we we're talking about it. She's the yeah. only one that can do the wrestlers like move or whatever the hell it is. And it's like it's one of those things that just shows you little hints at like Latin, man, Latin she's lovers like, move. That that was yeah, name Latin, Latin yeah. lover. <laughs> yeah. So she's definitely and she's such a nice person still. She is, yeah. Even after getting treated hella shitty. Yep. By Furman, who's like the fucking douchiest dude alive. God, he got so some yeah. piece he got, of shit. He got He's some terrible. moves though. But then, yeah, <laughs> and you realize later on why and and how they end up meeting again during the riot and right. that scene. Just the which the, foreshadows a lot. Yeah, the the, the just the juxtaposition of her being pregnant there and him wearing a t-shirt. That says like let love love is or something yeah. like that. It's yeah, like a famous like, that. like artist while pointing know. a gun and mm-hmm. it's just like it's crazy and death all around them. That's so like incredibly powerful. I like that. Uh, guys, let's, let's move into spoilers here because I think we want to touch on a couple more things. Yes. So if you have not seen it yet, highly recommend you guys just skip this part and go to our giveaway or, or put it on pause there. and go watch, watch it right it now. Either. Yeah. All right, so back here, we're in the spoilers section, guys. Particular scene I want to talk about is uh, when Cleo finds out she is pregnant. Um, the the movie I found on this movie that a lot of themes were themes of abandonment, starting with Antonio basically leaving the family. That's such a hard scene too. When um, Sophie is basically saying bye to him, and yeah. she she knows what's up. That's why, because you can tell that there's a pretty strained relationship between the two. And it's relatable to a point like people, I think, have seen things like this happen before where like the adults are talking adult talk, quote unquote, you know, and the kids are kind of in the dark. But meanwhile, you kind of have to just keep going on with life and the kids are just like, oh, when's he coming back? And it's like, well, nope. And then they actually see him outside of the theater with like a much younger chick. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they, she, um, Cleo kind of tells the older boy to kind of like keep it hush hush to like not upset everyone. Yep. That's like a really like fucked up scene. 
That yeah, that was pretty harsh. But this is all while Cleo herself is pregnant, and yep. the guy, her baby daddy, basically Furman, basically abandons her too. He just straight up denies that the it, it is his. And, and in movie theater too. Both both theater. situations happen in a movie theater. <laughs> When she's there, and the dude says, oh, I'm going to go. Wait, he, she tells him he's pregnant, or she's pregnant, and then he's like, oh, it's a great thing, right? And just bullshits her. Just and he's like, I'm going to go take a piss mm. near the end of the no, movie. No, he's going to get snacks. Oh, yeah. And then uh, just bounces. Leaves his jacket, too. And that, the tense moment where it's those few seconds where she's there looking around, the movie's playing in the background, and it feels like so real, like you're there, and then she realizes that, no, he really is gone. Yeah, it's just a static shot from the back that's showing you the entire thing, too, so it's like... It's almost like you're sitting there in the back witnessing this conversation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little, like, it's like kind of uncomfortable too. Yeah, especially yeah. if you were there, you'd be like, "This is weird." Yeah. <laughs> For one thing, I want to talk about too, because I mean, best and worst. I mean, we're just gonna. This is just a scene I want to talk about. When Cleo loses the baby, that has to be probably one of the hardest scenes I think I've ever watched. Like, uh, yeah, it, it was yeah. actually done by actual doctors. That that's why it's kind of drawn out. Yeah. Because it's actually like this is what they, they, they done. he made them treat it like it was an actual like delivery yeah like a stillborn and like really happening she so. didn't even know that the the real life Cleo had uh, Lito I think was her name yeah that had actually lost the baby she didn't tell her until she didn't find out until after doing that scene and the actress Yalitza Aparicio started just bawling her eyes out. Right after doing the scene, that yeah, was very sad, and, and I was bawling during the scene because yeah. it's just like that. Here goes Marco crying again. <laughs> he used to be in a bill, now it's me. And <laughs> he transferred um, the torch to him. Yeah, he said, "Do it well." And it's they're just doing CPR on the baby, and you know that's it's not coming back. And she's just there waiting, and it's just fucking heart wrenching. I mean, I must have got the torch too, man, because I, I I cried during this part too, guys. I, you know, a lot. I haven't cried in a movie in a while. A lot of the film is very emotional. There's very, you know, heart-wrenching things that happen overall. But that scene right there, just the build-up to it and, and and it actually happening, like... It's because it's... Almost, once again, it's almost like you're witnessing, like, as a bystander. You're there in the room, on. yeah, seeing it all. And you because just don't know how to react. It's from... Feel it's, for her. Yeah, one room, they're like, hey, I can't hear the baby. And then yeah. they're like, you're like, oh, shit. I mean, you kind of perch your ears up. And then they bring her to the operating room. It's like, what the hell is going on? Right. You know what I mean? And it's just one of those things where one thing leads to the next. And it's just like, what the fuck? Right? And then this happens. And then, I mean, it also even reveals to the beach scene, which I think is a really um, strong scene, too, where the family goes out. And basically, Sophia reveals to her kids, like, hey, your dad's not coming back. Yeah. And, I mean, that's rough, too. I mean, which, which by the way, the is shot almost identical and almost in an exact location, like uh, the near end scene in Itumama Tambien when they're in a cantina, also getting drunk. Oh and yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's right oh, before yeah. the end of the movie. It's and, he, the same thing. and he did it as a callback to, to that, which I thought was pretty cool. Nice. It was really cool too. But that, so. the beats, going back to the beat scene, that was shot gorgeous. It's so fucking beautiful. Yeah, and I, I did like. Honestly, when I saw it, I was like, that, that's a beach. You know, like, compared to where you watch films that are pristine, and yeah. it's like very, like, that is a beach that I've gone to. You feel like you're actually immersed in the water, the waves, yeah. the whole the whole landscape. It was like, I wouldn't be shocked if this went cinematography. Yeah, it, which it's is, just beautifully shot. The whole and then, thing. I mean, Cleo finally just lets it out, because, I mean, this is, takes place a couple, I don't know if it's days or weeks later from the time that her baby dies, but right. she reveals like, like she didn't really want the baby. Yeah. 
Which is I a think, very uh, difficult thing to have to admit out loud. Yeah. So I think so. she almost feels she feels guilty that that's because because of her thoughts about it and such like that and why the baby died. And yeah. All this stuff. It's a very super emotional t- scene. And then it's the kids showing their love toward her too, and it's kind of like she shows you like without her too, they wouldn't be able to do their shit. So it shows the the iconic picture from the poster. Oh yeah, yeah. of all of them holding each other, and I mm-hmm. thought that was really just a powerful moment as well in the movie. Just so many good good scenes, good shots in in this movie. Too yeah. many to talk about. Definitely, definitely a movie that I think uh, like I, I saw it right before the Super Bowl, and. What a palate cleanser. <laughs> I know, right? So, I mean, then I had to get bored for three hours. <laughs> then also something else. But, yeah. So, I mean, it's just one of those things where basically this movie, like we go, going back to Nabil's topic, was very much like a movie that moved me. And I, although I can't um, relate to the characters directly, uh, their story was compelling enough to me that it's one of those things that I always remember. So. Yeah. Which like that's the important part because that's really the element and the feeling that uh, Alfonso Cuarón is going for is he wanted to draw empathy from the audience and that's like the and main he definitely thing. Did it, yeah. And he did an excellent, excellent job because whether like you were saying, James, like whether you can relate to it or not, whether you've been in those situations or not, you can at, at least like understand or have some sort of understanding about it. So, but man, this one definitely is a winner. Yeah, Roma, guys, it is fantastic. Um, we had practically nothing bad to say about it. One thing I will mention too, for all you tech geeks out there, this movie looks fantastic in 4K. Yes, it does. And if you have Dolby audio as well, put on oh. your Dolby X headphones, like me, I guess, and it sounds fantastic. So I have a little I have Sony. Atmos. I have a little Sony surround uh, soundbar, and let me tell you, just off of that, the audio sounds amazing. Audio is good, so right? I can only imagine how it sounds. Yeah, with the full yeah. Surround. I I have uh, Dolby Atmos on through my headphones, and it just Sounded and looked yeah. fucking incredible. I would say definitely take a look at that. All right, guys, that is the end of the pod. Uh, thank you for listening and all the feedback and response. I'm going to hand it over to Marco, who's got a couple announcements and, uh, I mean, a giveaway announcement as well. So go uh, go for it, Marco. So before we get into our announcement, we actually have some questions from our Instagram. We're just going to answer those real quickly because. We said that we would answer some on the pod, and I know we answered some on the gram, but here goes the uh, two questions we picked out for this podcast, a fun one and a real one. And <laughs> the real one it comes from our good friend at LR Farm Designs, and his question is, what is each one of your favorite movies? And... Let's start this one off with James. James, what is your favorite? Or you know what? We'll, uh, we're going to change it up a little bit, Scott, and we're going to do either favorite or one of our favorites. So, uh, Dumb and Dumber. I like that a lot. Excellent, excellent choice. One of choice. the funniest movies I've ever seen. Awesome. Or, what mean, about Naked Gun, I guess, too. Oh, really good choices right there. Classics. What about you, Nabil? Oh, I can just tell you my favorite film is Reservoir Dogs. I know James knows this. Sit down. Nabil. Yeah, it's... Bring it back to Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino, great film, great storytelling, the whole, you know, I can watch that a hundred times and never get bored. Awesome. Really good pick. One of my personal favorites, too. I'm going to do something a little more recent in a movie that actually recently got nominated for Best Picture, keeping it in tune to our Academy theme, and that is Arrival, and it's a sci-fi movie. 
and it's one of my personal favorites. But um, awesome. Thank you for your question, Scott. We appreciate it. And if you guys have not followed this guy, follow him at LR Farm Designs on Instagram. He does excellent woodwork. So check him out. He also posts live videos on there. So check those out too. Really good friend, friend of the pod. We love him. Thank you so much for your question. And our fun question comes from at Amy Ring. I'm sorry, at Amy J Ring. <laughs> I fucked up the name, but that's okay. And uh, her question is, why does Marco cry during every movie? Who the fuck picked this question? Uh, Marco, I'd like to answer that. Um, so Marco gets really, really connected to these films. Yeah, Mar- Marco gets very <laughs> emotional because he feels like he is the person that they're portraying in the film. And so because he does that, he wants to go through all even the emotions. Like, even last year, Lady in the Water, he's, yeah. I was like, bro, that is not you, bro. He said, I, I'm sure in creature. the water. I so, tried to learn sign language. It's, like, it's a fucking swamp creature, bro. He's like, dude, I've been in the same situation. I was like, What? Yes. A medical facility run by the military? Now, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a little hard to explain, but I mean, it's, it's being a factual a story. constant tear of a film, I'd like to tell you that it isn't easy not to cry. Not everybody is made out of steel like James. Um, when you see a thousand, <laughs> four thousand movies, you just kind of stop, start blocking it off. Guys. Don't worry, slowly but surely, I'm numbing myself, guys. I'll, cr- I'll cry less. I mean, Nabil cried during Captain Phillips. That's <laughs> all. I'm very say. sad. I'm just, the captain now. No, he's not. No, wasn't he? That hard? Uh, he also cried at the end of Birdman, but you know, he's, he's really saying. keeping count. So awesome. Well, thank you guys for your questions. We appreciate it. Keep on following. Keep on asking. Uh, share us with your friends and family. We definitely appreciate that. And most important of all, subscribe. And you guys can check us out on Google Play, iTunes, or SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Movie Pals Pod. And without further ado, the winner of our Aquaman and Mera Funko Pop figures goes to at IX Stay Fresh. Alex B, you are the winner. Congratulations. Good job. We will Congrats. be contacting we will be contacting you and asking for your mailing information so that we can send you your prize. Awesome. So, we really appreciate it. We'll give you a shout out on the Instagrams and we'll also appreciate you continuing to listen to the pod and being a fan. So, awesome. Congratulations. All right, guys. So tune in for next time when we will be going over our Oscar predictions for 2019 and a film yet to be named. We're not sure which one it is, guys. So stay yeah, tuned. Yeah, we're a little behind. Sorry. Yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> we're running, it's like we're running out of options. Hey, hey you know what? We may just announce it on Instagram, okay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've been using it heavy. So until then, guys, this is James. And Marco. And Nabil. Have a good one. Thank you.